There's a poem called The Quitter that was recalled by a man named Douglas Mawson as he was exploring an Arctic tundra. The exploration had gone terribly wrong. After months of travel, his crew began their return to camp so they could catch the outgoing ship back to Australia. Weather and disease and difficulty led literally to the trip being ruined. All of the other explorers with Mawson died. All of their supplies were either used or lost. They were eating the meat of their sled dogs and, for some, dying from it. By the end, when Mawson was about one day away from his camp, he was barefoot. The heel of one of his feet was almost completely detached, and his mental state was only slightly better than his vast illness at the expense of this journey. Then he fell in a ravine, and he was caught only by a rope and was left dangling for death while his return was almost in sight. And as he's ready to cut the rope and fall to his death after this terrible, terrible expedition that had gone completely wrong, he's hanging there, and he remembers this poem. And out loud, he spoke the lines to himself. Just have one more try. It's dead easy to die. It's the keep on living that's hard. Mawson then climbed up the rope and returned home. This is Becoming Human, and we are all about the journey of presenting ideas, whether it's philosophy or theology or psychology or history or any other venture of wisdom, to help impact how we live right now. We hope to discover the world a bit more to help us more healthily traverse it. And today, we are continuing our conversation on conflict, which comes from the conversation we've been having on change. So, so far we've seen that conflict, like change, is inevitable. You you live in a world where you're going to strike together with other beings all of the time because you are a social person and you live in a complex world. So it's inevitable and it has no moral value in and of itself. It isn't inherently negative or positive. That outcome will be dependent on how you use conflict which makes it like an invitation. And so now that we've seen that conflict is often the catalyst to change, we need to start unpacking how we nurture a proper response to conflict. And in my experience, you know, there's a spectrum of three responses here. On one end, you've got apathy. On the other end, you've got ignorance. And right in the middle, you have what I might call imagination. And these are three ways that we can approach conflict to hopefully make it positively transformative. Now, we've already briefly mentioned some of the poor tactics we tend to use that deviate conflict into the destructive. Self-interest, self-preservation, poor communication. And we'll look at some of these tactics further next episode But the overall disposition can be broken down, I think, into these three categories. So on the one hand, apathy. 
Apathy is the approach of, you know, when you're in the midst of conflict of just shutting down, giving up, doing nothing. On the other end, you have the approach of ignorance. And psychologically, this would technically be called um, a reactive response to conflict and suffering. So a reactive response, it's like, it's pretending like nothing has happened and trying to go on you know, it's it's the large lump of baggage piled under the rug, not addressing the actual issue. That that's a reactive response, and and that so I classify that as ignorance. And when we are responding to conflict, we're trying to wrestle with the inherent complexity of ourselves and other human beings. And so, apathetically, if we're doing that first response, we might recognize the problem. You know, hey, this situation where two things struck together, caused this friction, now you have conflict. But in our apathy, we still refuse to embrace the situation. So when you do this, you're actively entering the complexity, right? You're acknowledging how complex it is and how difficult it is. You're asking the questions, you're uncovering the doubt, you're seeing the situation for what it is. But then we decide that the complexity of the problem and the potential change is too overbearing And so we apathetically drop it. You know you have a drinking problem. That is the conflict that arises. But it would be harder to stop than to live with the consequences. Or let's say, you know, your partner has exposed the relational difficulties that, you know, that naturally emerge by two people being together. But you refuse to pursue a new relational dynamic. You you refuse to enter into that messiness of imagining what could be new. And when you choose apathy, changes still unfold. It, it's just the negative version. When we don't intentionally put ourselves towards healing the wounds or solving the problems. And honestly, this is the most common choice. We see the swirling chaos and we just decide to do nothing. We check out. Now, at the least, this response recognizes the vast overwhelming power of what is being handled. I have some respect for that, but it still isn't constructive. This is how we take conflict and we don't allow it to positively transform things. The point being, it's still going to transform something. It's just going to be negative now. I also think with apathy, this is why we look at conflict as having a negative definition or, or a negative disposition is because this is what we experience. We are constantly in situations where we go, oh man, that's, that's difficult. I, I don't want to deal with that. And we walk away from it. You know, these are the peacekeepers. These are the conflict avoiders, etc. But there's more to this. And that's at the other end of the spectrum. And this one, ignorance, is a it's a bit more difficult for me to applaud. There's some noble things within apathy I can respect. I have a tough time seeing them here with ignorance. And at the same time, I certainly understand the disposition. But this response is more pitiable for me than something to congratulate. Ignorance, then, the less noble side of the spectrum, it's the certain naive optimism that nothing is wrong. You know, We're willing to shun the rational and ignore reason and build ourselves an illusion 
to replace the reality of the conflict and the friction and the striking together that's happening. Again, change is still going to happen here, but it will be the unintentional consequences that occur when you choose not to embrace reality. Change will come from the misguided action you take to avoid the real issue. That's probably not going to lead to good things. You know, so consider ignorance in the example of marriage. Both partners know that everything is not okay. But if they choose to pretend that all is well, you know, they can still say, I love you. Even if there is this giant overtone of it being a love that, you know, refuses to embrace the whole person. And at that point, it's a rather weak love. The conflicting parts of their two persons, they each decide that it's just not worth the time. They love each other for who they pretend the other to be. And this isn't just with marriage. This could be a conflict with a friend. Like instead of handling the issues, you know, we seek revenge or we just stop talking to them or there's all these ways we interact with the conflict that leads to change, but it's not going to be good. So I hope the commonality you see between apathy and ignorance is that both of them are going to allow things to change without actually addressing what's really going on and entering into the mess and the complexity. And they approach that differently, but it's the same issue. Now, just to help give more of a feel for how this works, I, I want to I address something, sort of a side note, because I, say, I see the same approach within philosophical metaphysics. Now, if you just heard me say that and you're like, what is he talking about? Just, just bear with me for like seriously two minutes because I do help, this at least for me, has helped me understand these various approaches to conflict. When we're faced with the complexity of transcendent existence, okay, so the idea of a God, but not just some religious version of God or transcendent existence, we're going to leave it there. All right. A common response to this is, is to ignore those tricky details that either make theism a bit convoluted or that make atheism disingenuous. And all I mean by that is anytime somebody wants to have a conversation about metaphysics and they're really certain that they've got it all figured out, I'm very willing to bet they haven't thought about it very much. So on one side, you have the theist who, you know, when someone objects to their belief, they reply with really poorly nuanced arguments or cliche statements that get chalked up to faith, and there's no room for questions or doubt we ignore the tricky parts and pretend they're not there. This would be, you know, it's, it's a philosophical metaphysics conflict, but it's still a conflict, technically. And this would be the ignorance approach. No, we're not even going to acknowledge that that's a thing. Ignorance. On the other side, there are people who genuinely engage the questions and the doubt. Right? There's a genuine approach of exploration and honesty. You know, they're engaging the complexity of a conversation that is incredibly difficult and complex. You're talking about the idea of transcendence. And yet, within that, I've seen so many people just go, this adventure is too overwhelming and it's easier to check out. That would be apathy. 
By the way, there's a story in the Christian tradition in a book called The Gospel of John that, that contrasts both of these poles of the spectrum and offers what I would say is a good illustration to engaging with conflict. There's this disciple named Thomas. He's often referred to as Doubting Thomas. He refuses to believe in the resurrection of Jesus, which is a big deal because he was, after all, a disciple among, like right there with the other disciples. And we make Thomas out to be a bad guy, like an example of what not to do. However, Thomas, Thomas is the only one in the whole piece of John's literature to proclaim Jesus as my Lord and my God. That doesn't show up from anybody else. How does the person with doubt and questions arrive at the place of strongest faith? Because Thomas didn't pretend that there was no complexity. He didn't wash over the details that were problematic. He embraced the complexity. Yet within the difficulty he was posed, he didn't walk away either. He didn't choose ignorance and in the difficulty didn't choose apathy. He prodded further into the situation and and ended up seeing more than everyone else. So here's what I would say as we're thinking about these approaches to conflict. Questions take us where answers can't but they will only take us there if we use our imagination to see the enormity of the possible. Imagination is the alternative response that sits in the middle of the spectrum. Now, like apathy, this response asks questions and ventures into the dark abyss of conflict. However, In the midst of that, imagination uses conflict to make intentional, constructive changes in response to the complexity. Imagination doesn't seek to be comfortable or to maintain the status quo. Imagination seeks to be real. And as I've said before, while real is not always glamorous, it is always beautiful. That's a really good framework to position our conflict within. Imagination embraces conflict so as to open our eyes and take us into uncharted territory with a positive, constructive response. It utilizes conflict for growth and transformation. It allows the complexity to reveal alternatives that were previously unseen until the conflict happened. And it channels the impending changes for the greatest possible benefit. If conflict is inescapable... There are still benefits if we do it right. And if we choose not to do it at all, we lose those benefits. So here's what I'd say. Conflict takes us where comfort can't. But we have to let it take us there. I'm going to be really honest with you. I can't go through two whole episodes on conflict without bringing up the Stoics. If you haven't been able to tell, I'm kind of a fan of the Stoics. Anyways, the Stoicism is an ancient philosophical school. It's having a bit of a renaissance in modern culture. I don't always like how people talk about it, but I'm kind of a nerd, so it's fine. But Stoicism was excellent at understanding the benefits of conflict. 
right? So they see fasting as a requisite for life. You know, you should constantly pursue intentional discomfort because they believed there was an advantage in training while things were going well to fortify yourself against a crisis when it naturally was going to occur. You know, they thought conflict and change was inevitable in that way too. So they would rehearse the worst case scenario so that they wouldn't recoil when conflict became a reality. What happens when you do that is the fasting gives a peace of mind that's not dependent on circumstances. It allowed the Stoics to move through the chaos of conflict and end up in an imaginative, constructive landscape. And I think I've said this before too, but if it's easy, it's not worth doing. And embracing the waves of conflict offers a possibility that will be hidden if you apathetically ignore it. I love that disposition. We, we have to see that our actions and preferences and familiarity will certainly be impeded each and every time conflict arises. It's not going to be enjoyable. It's messing with our stuff. It's messing with the landscape we know. It's taking us to uncharted territory. But we also have to see that we can use the obstacles in our way and convert it into transformative growth. Impediment is the action that advances action. Conflict is an opportunity that can be used to our advantage and to the advantage of whoever we are in conflict with. And so when you find yourself in a conflict, you have to start with, how do you perceive that situation? Is it negative? Is it something to be avoided at all costs? Or is there a potential transformation if you choose to enter with an imaginative mind? However you view conflict will shape how you respond. You still need to acknowledge the complexity, the difficulty, the disruption, and the loss involved, but you don't have to be defeated by it. You can use it to your advantage. Let the difficulty of conflict ride in the car. Just don't let it drive. See conflict for what it is. Pay attention to the details and focus on what you can and cannot control in the situation, but then use it. Conflict is one of the primary causes of change. And if we are not thinking rightly about conflict, we will always change for the worse. If we can understand what we're handling here, if we can understand the potential role it can play within every situation that is inevitably inevitably going to happen in your life, we have a chance to create really positive transformation each and every time. And so I want to end with a story, a personal example. There was a moment where my spouse and I found ourselves on our couch because of a conflict. That's one way to say we were fighting. And it all started with a look, the one where you realize that everything isn't okay. You know, the conveyor belt of life has resulted in friction. Somewhere we lost our way. Communication broke down. Patterns of living caused pain. We couldn't, just couldn't keep doing this any longer. So my spouse and I sat on the couch and just unleashed this bubbling pain that had resulted in a cacophony of dissonance. There was a whole lot of anger. There was a lot of tears. Because two elements have been living alongside one another 
And, and the, the striking together, it was inevitable and it was painful. But in this specific moment, the situation led to the word divorce being used. Uh, it's really my fault. I, I had become neglectful. I had become so enthralled with my work that I had no energy left for my family. My ability to be a lover, a parent, and a human was incongruent with the needs of those I claimed to love. However, as we're sitting on the couch, I realized we had been here before. Regularly, we confronted issues that arose from our relationship. And every single time, we left that intense, difficult moment on the couch better than when we sat down. Our conflict led to change. We could no longer traverse the same landscape. So we built a new world and found a better life all because of how we responded to conflict. That's something we had experienced time and time again. So when we sat on the couch facing our largest confrontation, I had this like deep sense of satisfaction. While certainly uncomfortable and hurt, full of shame and anger, I was excited because I knew that we would leave the couch better than when we sat down. I knew that this situation, if handled correctly, with integrity and responsibility, with imagination, with paying attention to the depths and complexity and difficulty and details, it would force us into a whole new way of being that would would be glaringly more real and, and therefore more beautiful than whatever we had known before. The conflict was actually an opportunity. And as a result, As a result, literally, of that conversation, I embarked on a journey of change and transformation that makes me almost unrecognizable to who I was before. It was like a seed being buried. That conflict, for me, started this whole new way of being. Like, I work less. I prioritize my identity as a lover and a parent. I learned how to say no. My my family found joy in the presence of each other. I just used it as an example Because my lifestyle has drastically changed because of that moment. And our world looks different as a result of what happened on the couch that day. And to this day, I still have a lingering hope of excitement whenever I sense the manifestation of things striking together. The best components of my existence, the best engagements with my relationships, and the most fruitful changes in my community and even in the world, all seem to unfold as a result of conflict done well to manifest positive change. This is our invitation. To see that conflict can be an advantage. To see that our world can never be the same anymore, which means it could be better. We have to ask ourselves, when conflict arises, do we want comfort or transformation? When we find ourselves facing a mountain, do we want to eliminate the mountain or utilize it? And keep in mind, the mountains won't stop coming. So we better get used to them and we better develop the mindset of fruitfully traversing them. And That's why I love that story about Douglas Mawson so much. It's such an amazing narrative. That, that is a radical example of embracing conflict. But the posture and approach that he had while dangling over that cavern, even 
in the minute conflicts of our lives, that's our invitation too. It's dead easy to die. It's the keep on living that's hard. Our invitation is to stare the conflicts in the face and use them to become who we are meant to become so as to build a better world, to use these situations of striking together to actually make changes that will transform the ground under our feet into a better version of itself. The invitation of conflict is to never be the same. And this kind of imagination can lead to beautiful transformation if we let it. And if conflicts are a result of the way the world is, wouldn't we want to embrace the opportunity for it to not be that way anymore? To transcend the conflicts so that they become less and less? That's what I hope. So my challenge to you is may you embrace the opportunity to never return to normal. Because normal is a kind of insane, isn't it? And the next part of the story can always be better than the last one. Embrace that normal might be done whenever you are in a conflict. And embrace that what was normal may not have been the way it was supposed to be in the first place. And may your conflict bring such a loss of normalcy that through enduring the crisis, hearing the concerns, and embracing the difficult complexity and doubt and frustration and suffering, it will be like a whole new world emerging through that apparent tomb. And we can always take suffocating fear and replace it with the life that comes from climbing the mountain. Conflict may begin with apparent hopelessness, but slowly it just may awaken a different hope reveal a different imagination, and as I see emerging from conflict, compel us to be the very thing we are looking for. Conflict is like the world cutting you open with a knife. When that happens, what will we find? Now, you may have listened to this and thought, yes, very inspiring. What about those very real conflicts with, like, real people? I want to resolve it, but how do I do that? You know, you're right. This conversation was about adjusting our perspective on conflict and got a little inspirational self-help there more than I would probably like to. Um, But we do need to make sure we're thinking appropriately about conflict. And then once we do... Now we need to get into the details on how to do conflict resolution. That's like a real thing. And so we've handled this. We've painted this picture. I hope this can sit with you in positive ways. But now we have to talk about, you know, the actual conflicts. So that's what's coming up next episode. Some stuff about conflict resolution. For now, may you embrace the invitation of conflict to never be the same. See you next time.